You're listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. My name is Jamin. I'm one of the pastors here at Citizens. Welcome. Let's start like this. If you participated in Wake Up Weekend, would you stand up, please? All right. Awesome. We had a weekend with our students uh, Friday and Saturday, and uh, the Lord was really kind. Corey, thank you for your leadership, brother. You're the best there is. You really are. We're grateful for you. To all the leaders, thank you for, for, uh, for helping. I, I can't believe you're here this morning and not in bed still, but thank you for being here. Uh, Proverbs chapter 1, if you turn to Proverbs chapter 1, we're going to be uh, mainly in verse 22. We're going to be in a lot of passages uh, this morning, actually, um, looking at uh, a, a really interesting thing that, that Proverbs has to offer. Let's, let's start this way. Um, have you ever, I'm sure the answer to this is yes, just knowing the room and our culture, but have you ever taken a, a personality test or some sort of, <laughs> or some sort of like a, a type test? Um, I took my first one in, in high school and it categorized personality types into four kinds of animals, uh, lion, beaver, otter, and golden retriever. Anyone remember that one? Okay. Uh, the lion's like driven and powerful. The beaver represents the analytical person. The otter is expressive and popular. And, and the golden retriever is amiable, loves people, uh, is very peaceable. I got golden retriever. Any other golden retrievers in the room? Okay. Uh, my first semester at Baylor, I was only there for a year. My first semester, I took a, a leadership class. And one of the requirements was to do the Myers-Briggs test. That's the one with the, they ask you a bunch of questions. And then at the end, you get a combination of of four letters. I was ENFJ. Any other ENFJs? I've been told we're really special, so that feels good. Um, when I went on staff at the village, as part of the hiring process, uh, they required that you take a, a, a test called Your Unique Design, and it basically uh, scored you based on like a percentage of, of some sort of type that you were, and, and the categories were like um, energizer, dreamer, achiever, persister, I don't remember what all those represented, but um, I'm 100% harmonizer. That's what I got. Uh, I, I like helping things go well. I like helping people get along. Any other harmonizers in the room if you've done that one? Okay. Uh, I've also done the strengths finder. That one's helpful. There's like a, a list of 50 strengths, and you take the test, and uh, it tells you your top five strengths. And so mine were like um, belief and strategy, and uh, I don't remember the others, but super helpful, I promise. Um, <laughs> the, the popular one right now, obviously, is the Enneagram, and I haven't really gotten into it like others have, uh, probably because when I first heard about it, it was from another pastor who said something like this, man, this could revolutionize how we disciple people. And I thought, I, I didn't know that discipleship needed revolutionized, right? It's like um, Jesus seemed to do just fine making disciples without handing a number to everybody. But I'm sure that, that makes me some sort of number, right? I know that that, that means I'm... I'm some type, and, and you'll tell me what that is, right? Um, but I know many of the people in the rooms are into it, and so I could probably ask, you know, any ones in the room or any fives in the room or any nines in the room, and, and hands would go up everywhere. And, and most of these, what they do is they take the form of some sort of test, right? And there's a, there's a prompt where it, it's, it says something like, um, I like being challenged, and then you have to select always, sometimes, rarely, never. Or I like working with the team, and you, you select always, sometimes, rarely, never, something like that. You've done these? At least one of them? Okay. Uh, as humans, we've been doing this kind of thing for, for centuries. 2,000 years ago, 
uh, was one of the first recorded personality tests. The Greeks had come up with a medical theory called humorism, which uh, claimed that there were four kinds of fluid in the human body, and based on what kind of mixture of fluids you had, it determined what kind of personality type you have. In fact, the, the word that we get for temperament in the English language comes from the Latin word for mixture because of that, that um, you know, medical theory. So the, the four temperaments they came up with, depending on the four kinds of fluid in your body, were sanguine, choleric, melancholic, and phlegmatic. It was one of the first known personality tests. Any phlegmatic people in the room? <laughs> Um, what all of those tests point to is something I think that is generally true about us as humans, that we are interested in knowing what type of person we are. Like the fact that there's this many tests, and I'm sure there's several I don't even know about, uh, we like having categories through which to view ourselves and to understand ourselves, right? Um, when it relates to our strengths or our personality or makeup, so we're different, everyone's unique, right? But, but, but in those differences, a lot of our differences from one another can, can largely fall under these different typologies. And it seems that people are at least curious, what type of person am I? We want to know that. That's the question. And if a test invites us to, to find some sort of answer or clarity about that, it's interesting. It's curious. What type of person am I? Hold on to that question for a minute. We're a few weeks into our wisdom series, actually about five now, and mostly we've been in the book of Proverbs, and, and mostly we've been trying to establish a foundation from which wisdom grows in our lives. And so I think a lot of times when people think about the book of Proverbs or think about wisdom, they'll come in with a specific topic, right? I want to know how to, uh, how to think wisely about money or about marriage, or about singleness, or about relationships, or something like that. And we'll get there. All that's really important. But, but where we want to start is where the Bible starts, and that's actually with these larger foundational truths about wisdom that need to be established in our life for any of those other things to actually matter or make sense. And so here's how we've done that in our, in our five weeks. We've given a definition for wisdom, that wisdom is living in God's world and God's way. We've said that wisdom has a posture, it's low, it's humble. Wisdom has a pace, it's slow, we become wise over time. Wisdom has a person, it's Jesus, we become wise in relationship with Him. And what ties all that together, the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs says, is the fear of the Lord. The starting place and staying place for becoming wise is the fear of the Lord. And so how do we assume wisdom's posture? And how are we patient for wisdom's pace? And how do we have confidence in our relationship with Jesus, wisdom personified? Well, we, we fear the Lord. Well, what's the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is not being so afraid of life that we forget God, like fearful. The fear of the Lord is not being so afraid of God that we run from Him, like faithless. The fear of the Lord is I am so taken by God's greatness and grace that I move towards Him in all of my life, and that makes us wise. That's where we've been. We'll take another step together this morning. We've talked about how Proverbs personifies wisdom, uh, like Proverbs 31. That's what that's about. We'll be there in a couple weeks. Ultimately, it's personified in Jesus. We'll look at that in a few weeks. But what we need to see this morning is that Proverbs personifies foolishness. Proverbs offers its own kind of type test, if you will. And it's more important than Myers-Briggs, and it's more important than Enneagram, and it's not going to tell you what kind of animal you are. It's not going to give you a number. It's actually not exciting, and it's not encouraging. But if we want to become wise, we can't ignore it. Listen to these verses. See if you can spot the types that Proverbs names. 122, how long, O oh, simple ones, will you love being simple? 
How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? 6 verse 9, how long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? Did you hear it? The stubborn, which the Proverbs calls the fool. The stubborn, the simple, the scoffer, and the sluggard. What type of fool am I? That's the question. That's the type test that Proverbs offers. If wisdom is living in God's world in God's way, foolishness is some form of living in God's world in a foolish way. And according to the book of Proverbs, that foolishness comes out of different people in different ways. Like that foolishness might take a different form in my life than it takes in your life. And the claim seems to be, it's not that people, it's not just that people do foolish things. Proverbs goes deeper than that and says, we can be so committed to a foolish existence that our life is marked by being a specific type of fool. And so Proverbs names them. The simple, the scoffer, the stubborn, and the sluggard. And it's important that we can name those types. It's important that we take the test. It's important that we ask the questions. And here's why. Part of becoming wise, friends, please hear me, part of becoming wise is acquiring the skills to spot foolishness when you see it. And the most important place to be able to spot it is when it's in you. And no one has ever become wise by being an expert on foolishness in everyone else's life, but blind to their own. No one. So the next two weeks, we're going to take the test that Proverbs invites us to take. We're going to consider what Proverbs has to say about these forms of foolishness. We're going to learn how to define it. We're going to learn how to spot it. And then we're going to ask, what type exists in me or what types exist in me? And just be open to the idea or to learning what form foolishness takes in our lives. Aren't you excited to do that? Um, by the way, this is why we preach the Bible because there are hard things to look at and there are hard questions to ask. Um, it's not natural to my personality to spend two weeks asking us to consider what kind of fool we are. I'm the golden retriever. I'm a harmonizer. I don't like, I don't like this stuff. But this is heavy and it's important. And there are hard verses to look at. And, and what faithfulness requires this morning of me is faithfulness requires that I say some hard things. Um, and my hope in that is not to shame. My prayer is that God would use these categories actually to soften our foolish hearts that we might find new places upon which God's grace can change and heal. Because what the stubborn and the scoffer and the simple and the slugger, what they all need is they all need a Savior. And what we all need is to be able to come under, to come from foolish places and to bring our foolishness under the grace and mercy of Jesus. Here's how the two weeks will go. Um, the simple is mentioned 14 times. The scoffer is mentioned 14 times. The sluggard is, interestingly, unless I miscounted, mentioned 14 times. But the stubborn, which is the generic word for fool, it's mentioned 68 times. So we will give the rest of our time this morning to understanding the stubborn, the stubborn, what type of fool the stubborn is. And then next week, we'll talk about the simple and the scoffer and the sluggard, which I'm sure everyone will come back for. So the stubborn, we'll just ask two questions about the stubborn. Who are they and how do you spot them? That's it. Who are they and how do you spot them? Proverbs 12, 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 28, 26, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, 
but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. The word for fool that's most often used in Proverbs is the Hebrew word kasil. It's used 49 times. There's another word for fool used that I can't pronounce. It's used 19 times, and they're both pretty harsh words. It means obstinate. It means insolent. It describes somebody whose life is marked by stupidity, someone without understanding. I'm using the English word stubborn to capture all that. You won't find the word stubborn in the verses that I'm going to read. It actually just says fool. In fact, the word stubborn in English is a little softer than the Hebrew words used. But the reason why I'm using it is, one, it starts with an S. Two, it's helpful to capture the essence of this form of foolishness. The main mark of the fool, the main mark of the stubborn is that they're wise in their own eyes and that makes them immovable in their foolishness. They are stubbornly committed to their way of living and not interested in any way of living in any other way. If the stubborn had a life motto, it would be this, I am right, you are wrong. Proverbs 1, 32, for the simple are killed by their turning away. We'll talk about the simple next week. And the complacency of fools destroys them. The complacency of fools destroys them. Ray Ortland, in his commentary on Proverbs, defined the stubborn's complacency as counterfeit ease, meaning they have a false sense of security in the way they're living life, a false sense of security in in the accuracy of their own mind. They're wise in their own eyes. They're stubborn, but completely untroubled by their stubbornness. So the stubborn... They know about the book of Proverbs, but if they read it, they only read it to be affirmed in what they already agree with. The stubborn hears their church is doing a sermon series on wisdom and thinks, I don't need that, or I should teach that. I'm the wisest person I know. The guiding conviction of life for the stubborn is I trust in my own mind. I do what's right in my own eyes. That's who they are. Okay. How do you spot them? How do I spot it in my own life? How do I see it in the lives of others? This will take the rest of our time. Um, And I'll be honest with you, friends. When I read the verses that defined the stubborn, the ones we just read, I thought, oh, I'm good. When I read the verses that described the stubborn, I thought, oh, no. Um, And it's because it, it takes those descriptions and puts it on the ground in real life, um, really important circumstances. Here's what we'll see. How do you spot the stubborn? They speak, but they don't listen. They weaponize truth. They are easily offended. They are quick to quarrel and slow to pursue peace. And they are unconfrontable. Speak, but don't listen. Weaponize truth. Easy to offend. Quick to quarrel. Slow to pursue peace. And unconfrontable. Proverbs 18.2. Hear this. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding but only in expressing his opinion. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. The stubborn speak, but never listen. The stubborn don't have ears to hear. They take no pleasure in understanding because the stubborn believes they already understand. There's nothing to learn. I wonder if you think about something with me. Um, You ever talk to somebody? Maybe it's in an argument, or maybe it's just an important conversation, and you get done talking, you get done saying all that you said, and then they respond but their response has nothing to do with what you just said because they weren't listening to your words. They were just preparing their own while you were still talking. And in that moment, you're experiencing someone's foolishness. The Bible names that. Fools just want to express their opinion. They take no pleasure in understanding. And that comes out in a couple ways. One, they take no pleasure in understanding complicated things. Nothing's complex for the stubborn. 
everything is simple. So just pick a complicated controversy that surrounds us right now. Thing that, something that, that, that people disagree on, something that incites a, a lot of you know, polarization or division or something like that. For the stubborn, they know what they think before they've even scratched the surface of all there is to know. They don't honor complexity. They have a hot sports opinion about everything, and they want everybody to know it. This also means they take no pleasure in understanding people. And this is where the stubborn can really hurt people. They have opinions about who people are, but they don't care about why they are the way they are. So one example would be they never consider that maybe the wrong coming out of someone's present is tied up in the wounds from their past. And that doesn't make the wrong right, but it does affect the way you love that person. And the stubborn has no patience for that. The stubborn is completely dismissive of that. And it comes out as this. The stubborn views others based only on the way that the stubborn thinks that you need to be like them, the way that the stubborn thinks that you need to act like them, the way the stubborn thinks that you need to become like them. My uh, mentor, he's a, a spiritual director in my life. His name is Zach Eswine. I talk about him a lot. He's writing a book on wisdom right now. He's wonderful. He's, he's brilliant. Uh, our time together over the last four years is largely what made me want to do a series on wisdom. And so uh, consider this me citing him for all of this, but especially for, for this morning. Um, he said something to me the last time that we were together that, that I've been thinking on. It, it, it floored me a bit. He looked at me and he said, you know, Jamin, there is something about your godliness that I need to encounter in order to grow. There's something about your godliness that I need to encounter in order to grow. And this man is godly. He's twice my age. He's accomplished. He's persevered in faithfulness. He's been mentored by spiritual giants. And so when he said there's something about my godliness that he needs to encounter in order to grow, I thought, no, no, trust me, that's, that's not true. This, is a, this, is, this relationship is a one-way street, right? It's me learning, learning from you. But friends, he believes that, and he lives his life that way. Uh, he is curious about the work that God has done in other people's lives, and, and, and he's eager to encounter that so he could know God in ways that he wouldn't had he not spent time with that person. Look, what a beautiful way to live life. Like believing about every Christian that you do life with, that there's something about their godliness that I need to experience something about their godliness that I need to see, something about their godliness that I need to learn from in order to grow. And I just wonder, how would that change our relationships? Like, surely it would make us, at least it would make us better listeners of others. But the stubborn, the fool, does not believe that. Can't even, enter, can't even entertain that. The fool believes there's something I have to say that you need to hear in order to grow. And that's all they have. And when the stubborn encounters something present in someone else that they don't have, they dismiss it or they despise it. So when the fool discovers a godliness in somebody else's life that maybe they feel confronted by or convicted by, they dismiss it by judging it. They just assume it's fake. They just assume it's force, and they assume that so they don't have to learn from it. They don't have to deal with it. How do you spot the stubborn? They express opinions. They don't ask questions. They take the posture of teacher whether they've been invited or not. So if it's a test... And we were to take this and put it into a prompt. Maybe it would sound something like this. Do you take pleasure in understanding? Always, sometimes, rarely, never. Do you take pleasure in always expressing your opinion? Always, sometimes, rarely. 
Do you live like you need to encounter godliness in others in order to grow? Do you, at least in your mind, believe everyone needs somehow to become more like you? Always, sometimes, rarely, never. How do you spot the stubborn? They speak, but they never listen. They know everything already. There's more. You're like, oh, good. There's more. Uh, Speak, but never listen. Also, the stubborn weaponizes truth. Proverbs 26, 9, like a thorn that goes into the hand of a drunkard is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. I love Proverbs. You only get this kind of uh, wisdom in the book of Proverbs. Like a thorn that goes into the hand of a drunkard is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. What in the world does that mean? A drunk guy stumbles through a field one night, falls, a thorn goes into his hand. What does that accomplish? Nothing. Nothing. You know, he doesn't learn. He's too drunk to learn. He wakes up the next morning. He's super hungover. His hand really hurts, but he doesn't know why. He doesn't even remember the the night before. So what's the effect of that event? Nothing. It just hurts. The only thing that happens, there's no lesson. It's only pain. And that is what truth is like from the mouth of a fool. Like a proverb in the mouth of a fool. What does it do? Nothing. What does it accomplish? Nothing. It just hurts. That's all. It just hurts. Has anyone, anyone ever quoted the Bible to you, but it wasn't to build you up, it was to tear you down? Anyone ever cited the words of Jesus to you, but did so in a way that wounded you instead of helped you? You ever shared truth? Have you ever shared truth not to love people, but simply to prove your point? You know what all that was like? That was like a drunk guy that falls on a thorn. It meant nothing. It changed nothing. All it did was hurt. How do you spot the stubborn? They don't know how to use truth to build people up. They weaponize truth so that people are hurt instead of helped. Does truth hurt sometimes? Yes. Um, Should we shy away from saying hard things to people that we love? No, we shouldn't. But that's not the stubborn's problem. There are two questions to ask when you're sharing something especially something difficult to someone you love. And those two questions are, how does it need to be said? I want to think carefully and thoughtfully about how it needs to be said. The other question is, do I need to be the one who says it? Like, do I have the relational capital for this kind of conversation? Or will I just compound pain? How does it need to be said? Do I need to be the one who says it? And the stubborn's answer is always yes to both questions. Yes, of course I need to be the one who says it. Who better than me? I'm the wisest person I know. The stubborn weaponized truth. So truth offered from a heart of humility, it actually has a chance to be heard and to land. But truth fired from the heart of a fool always misses. It never lands. It only hurts. It's like the thorn in the hand of a drunk guy. It means nothing. It's only pain. Another way to say it is this. Even when fools are right, they're right in the wrong way. And truth from their mouth somehow gets lost in the falsehood of their person, their presence. Something about them is wrong, even if what they say is right. Something about them seems to be lying, even though their words are true. So maybe the prompt would be this. Do you ever use truth as a weapon to wound? Always? Sometimes? Rarely? Do I ever use the Bible against someone as like a got you moment? Does any part of me make space for the question, am I the one who should say this? Or do I always assume I'm the best one to say it? How do you spot the stubborn? They speak but never listen. They weaponize truth. Even when they're right, they're right in the wrong way. There's more. Proverbs 12, 16 says this. The vexation of a fool 
is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. The stubborn are easy to offend. The vexation of a fool. Vexation just means the uh, annoyance, the anger, the strong negative emotion of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. I haven't said this yet in this series, but why I think wisdom is so important right now is because I think foolishness marks the life of so many Christians, myself included. But because it doesn't fall under the category of sins that we're most bothered by, like a lot of the foolishness doesn't fall under the category of like a sexual sin or doesn't fall under the category necessarily of like stealing money or something like that. So, so, so there's foolishness that doesn't fall under the category of sins that we're most bothered by, and because of that, we just tolerate it or maybe even excuse it. Maybe even we chalk it up to personality. Oh, I'm, I'm the lion, remember? No, I'm, I'm just, I'm, an, I'm an, a nine or something like that, right? And it's a way to, to, to distance ourselves or excuse ourselves. And this point, friends, is a prime example of that. It is foolish to be easily offended. It's foolish. The wise can ignore what? An insult, just like Jesus, our Savior. Um, 1 Peter 2.23 says, when he was insulted, he did not insult in return, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. The wise can ignore an insult. What can the stubborn ignore? Nothing. They can't ignore anything. They can't ignore a slight. They can't ignore being overlooked. They react to everything. Their vexation is known at once. Proverbs 29.11 says, a fool gives full vent to his spirit but a wise man quietly holds it back. They are easy to offend. Their offense is known at once. The wise is insulted and ignores it. They may feel provoked. The wise might feel provoked. The wise might, might feel offense, but they quietly hold it back. They're slow to react. They're slow to assume. They're slow to yell. They're slow to believe the worst, but not the fool. The fool gives full vent to his spirit opens up the door to whatever they're feeling and thinking and just lets it all out. They make that offense known at once. We have a few plants in our house. Uh, Carrie loves having green in our home, and I love that about her. Um, and there's a plant. I, I'm kind of clumsy and uncoordinated, and so there's a plant that I knock over all the time. It's right by our TV, and it, it's, uh, it's in a smaller base, but the plant is, is, is big, and so um, it's a little bit top-heavy and it's easy to knock over. There's another plant that we have in our living room, and it's in this stand, and the stand is pretty heavy, and it's, and it's sturdy, and so uh, it's got some weight to it. And, and that plant, I've bumped into that one several times, um, but it, it's never fallen over because it can handle being bumped into. It can handle a little bit of contact. The other one can't. It's too top-heavy. There's not enough weight to the base of it, and so it, it tips over with not much contact at all. And sometimes I've even knocked it over to where it's, it's fallen onto the ground and it's crashed on the ground and dirt spills out and all that. The wise can ignore an insult, meaning they can handle some contact. They can handle a slight, but, but the stubborn tip over really easily. The, the stubborn are easily offended. The, the slightest bump to the ego, and there's a crash. The slightest moment of feeling unappreciated, the slightest offense, the slightest um, you know, moment of, of, of feeling unseen or, or not cared about, right? And what happens is, is the, the wise can ignore an insult, but the stubborn obsess over it. I can't believe they said that. I can't believe they did that. I can't believe they forgot that. Who do they think they are? Don't they know who I am? Don't they know all that I've done? 
And instead of ignoring an insult like the wise, they feed offense in their mind to the point where they crash. And everyone feels the crash. And you know, I guess this could be between strangers. That's what road rage is, right? It's like um, the vexation of the driver cut off in traffic is known at once, and it's foolish. Um, Little League started back up for us yesterday. And I don't, I don't mean this as a joke. I got there early and watched the game before my daughter's game, and I was reminded that often a lot of foolishness comes out in really sad ways during kids' sports. Uh, and I'm not talking about excitement or cheering or even, even caring too much. I'm guilty of that. Addy scored a goal yesterday, and I ran down the sideline like Jesus had come back. So it's like I, <laughs> I, there's probably some foolishness in there somewhere. But it's, what I'm talking about is grown men and women easily offended by the 15-year-old ref who's just doing the best she can to call the game. And there's some, something, it's hard to know what to call that, but when you see it, when you're in it and you experience it, it's, the Bible says it's foolishness. It's, it's somebody who's, who's giving full vent to their spirit in a moment. Or it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a parent screaming at their child on the field, and it's like, gosh, there's something so sad and so foolish about that, right? And, and, and I guess it could be the punchline of a joke if it wasn't such a sad example of emotional unhealth and idolatry and foolishness. That's foolishness on display between strangers. Can I tell you where it's even more important? The most important is to see it when it happens in close relationships. Uh, that's where it, it really matters because that's where it does the most damage. Uh, when the stubborn is easily tipped over by a spouse, easily tipped over by a coworker, easily tipped over uh, by children, easily tipped over by parents. And what that's like is that's like living with a top-heavy plant that can't be touched just waiting for someone to make me feel dismissed or make me feel unappreciated or make me feel forgotten or make me feel criticized. And the wise have a, have a heavy enough base to handle that, but the stubborn just crashes and everyone feels it. And the impact, um, the impact it has on those closest to stubborn is that they never really know where they stand with the stubborn. If you're married to stubborn, if you're the child of stubborn, if you're the co-worker of stubborn, you know, you never really know when they're going to be offended. It could be any time. And you never really know what's going to offend because the stubborn can interpret anything as offense. And so what it's like to live with a fool is it's like walking on eggshells. It's like having to be really careful not to make contact because if you do, a crash is coming. How do you spot the stubborn? They're easy to offend. And so maybe the prompt would be, can I ignore an insult? Always, sometimes, rarely, never. Am I easy to offend? Always, sometimes. Would those closest to me say that I'm easy to provoke, I'm easy to tip over? Always, sometimes, rarely. The stubborn speak but rarely listen. They weaponize truth. They're easy to offend. And you know what all that adds up to? It adds up to the stubborn being quick to quarrel but slow to pursue peace. A fight always follows them. Proverbs 20 verse 3 says, It is an honor for a man to keep aloof from strife, but every fool will be quarreling. It's an honor to, to avoid strife. Every fool will be quarreling. Eswine says it this way, The fool likes to keep the fight going. They like to keep a fight going. They're quick to quarrel. Conflict uh, follows them. They don't have the tools. Even more than that, they don't have the heart to pursue peace. So look, conflict is normal. Conflict is unavoidable in relationships. And all God's people said, amen. But what do you need to navigate conflict well? You need to be able to listen. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, only in expressing his opinion. Uh, also in conflict, you need to be able to speak truth and receive truth. 
like a thorn that goes into the hand of a drunkard is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. The stubborn only knows one way to use truth, and that's to weaponize it against people. In conflicts, you need to be able to ignore an insult or at least be able to maintain enough self-control to hold back and to fight fair. The vexation of a fool is known at once. A fool gives full vent to his spirit. So conflict, in conflict, the stubborn is always changing the rules and always changing the subject. Why? Because that's the way to keep the fight going. They don't want to pursue peace. They want to keep quarreling. They don't listen. They weaponize truth. They tip over easy. And so ultimately what you see the stubborn do is the stubborn use their emotion to control. They use strong emotion to keep the fight going. That's the fuel that keeps the fire of the fight blazing. Proverbs 27.3, a stone is heavy and sand is weighty, but a fool's provocation is, better, is heavier than both. Proverbs 29.9, if a wise man has an argument with a fool, the fool only rages and laughs. There is no quiet. If a wise man has an argument offering wisdom, the fool only rages and only laughs. There is no quiet. What that means is there's a disproportionate emotional response in conflict. Raging and laughing are opposite ends of the emotional spectrum, right? You don't rage at the same things that you laugh at. You don't rage and laugh at the same time, but that's the point. There is no reason, there is no sense behind the fool's emotions. It's just about the emotions. It's just about taking over with extreme emotion. It's using emotion to control. And so in conflict, it becomes about the raging and the laughing and not even about what the fight started over. And if you're the one fighting with a fool, eventually you just don't care about the fight anymore. You don't care about the argument. You just want the emotion to go away. You want the raging, the laughing, the extreme to stop. You want quiet, but there is no quiet. The stubborn, the fool, the quick to quarrel, slow to pursue peace. Maybe the prompt is, does a fight follow me? Always, sometimes, rarely, never? Do I use extreme emotion to control people? Always, sometimes, rarely. Am I quick to quarrel? How do you spot the stubborn? They speak, they don't listen, they weaponize truth, they're easy to offend, they're quick to quarrel, slow to pursue peace. Okay, let me bring our time to a close with a question, and I know this has been heavy. My question is this. How have you been reacting? If you've followed the prompts, if you've stayed with me. What's been happening in your heart, in your mind? Um, I want to draw our attention to, to one of a few different reactions. Like maybe as I walk through this, you've thought mostly of someone else. And, and I think that there might be something good about that. I, I'm not judging that. I think that if God has brought someone in your life to mind and, and, and given you words to describe them or describe your experience of them, I think the Bible does that. It helps us see and make sense of others. But but my ask would be this. If we could just stay with us for a minute, if you could just stay with you for a minute, how have you been responding to you? Um, there's a reaction that is devastating, friends, and the reaction is the reaction that bows up to all of it, meaning uh, quick to speak, slow to listen, and the response is, not me. Weaponizes truth, and the response is, hey, truth is truth, and it's, it's not my fault if people can't handle it. Easy to offend tips over easy, and the response is, that offends me. <laughs> you don't know me. You don't know what I've been through. Quick to quarrel, slow to pursue peace, and the response is to fight with that in your mind, to quarrel, to have a disproportionate emotional response. Has that been your reaction? Is that you? If that's been your reaction, I need to tell you why that's been happening. Proverbs 17.10, a rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. The last mark of the stubborn 
is that they can't handle being told that they're stubborn. Can't handle it. Because they already know it all and they see it all and they're wise in their own eyes and they trust in their own mind and so they cannot handle a sermon about foolishness. Proverbs 26.4 says, Answer not a fool according to his folly lest you be like him yourself. Proverbs 26.5 says, Answer a fool according to his folly lest he be wise in his own eyes. Well, which one is it? Do you answer him or do you not answer him? That's the point of the proverb. It's hard to know what to say to the stubborn. It requires incredible discernment. Correction is hard to offer the stubborn because it's the very thing they believe they don't need. If there's, if there's no part of you that wonders, is this me? Is any of that in me? And instead of searching your heart, you form a response or you rage and laugh or you take offense or you think of, all of the stubborn people who really need to hear this and you can't be, wait to be the one who tells them, here's me, hear me. I love you. I don't delight at all in saying this, but if that's your response, this is you. It's you. And maybe there is enough of a sliver of humility left in your heart for you to turn from foolishness before you ruin your life and everyone else around you. The other reaction and this has been my reaction all week as I've sat in this. Slow to listen, weaponized truth, easily offended, keeps the fight going. Here's my reaction. Man, that's in me. There is foolishness in me. There is stubbornness in me. And maybe I'm not answering always to all the prompts and all the questions, and maybe not everything lands as true for me, but enough hits close enough to where I'm troubled. God's troubled by it. Is that you? Do you see yourself in this, even if it's just a little bit, and then seeing yourself in this a bit troubled by it? It's God, what do I do? How do I respond to that? If that's you, I want you to know that response is a wise response. That's the response of wisdom, to, to seek grace for our own foolishness. Psalm 38, David says, my wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. And then he prays, Lord, don't abandon me. Hurry to help me, my Lord, my salvation. If the Lord is convicting at all, be encouraged. One of the marks of the wise is that they turn from their stubbornness and seek Jesus. That last week we said the fear of the Lord is moving towards God with all of our life. That includes moving toward him with our foolishness, seeking forgiveness, seeking grace to grow. So here's the last prompt, and it's the most important one. The most important question, then we'll pray. Here it is. Do you need a savior? And here are the options. Always, 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 and always. In light of that, let's, let's take this to Jesus. Lord, we need you. Always, 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 and always, we need your grace, Jesus. We need your mercy. I wonder, friend, is, is there foolishness, stubbornness you've discovered that you would turn into prayer in this moment, that you would take to, remember last week you have a good and gracious Father in heaven who loves you? You have a Savior who is the image of the invisible God. 
Could we just be honest with him? I, I know, let me just, my prayer. God, there, there's foolishness in my heart that hurts you and hurts others. Forgive me. And that comes out of my life, God, as caring more about expressing my opinion than listening. At times, it's come out of my life as weaponizing truth. There are ways in which I'm easily offended, God. There are ways in which I've, I've kept a fight going. I've kept quarreling. I've been slow to pursue peace. And this stubborn man has a Savior who's kind and good and gracious and eager, eager to answer the prayer of the stubborn that says, forgive me and help me. I need grace to grow. Would you spend a few moments just talking to God, friend? Lord, we love you. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for these people, my brothers and sisters. I love them with all I got. I pray, Lord, um, you know, I, I feel the limit of this moment always. Gosh, always. Um, but I feel especially limited this morning just knowing that there's probably questions that your word Stirred that, that I didn't answer, confusion maybe that happened that needs clarity. And as limited as I am, God, uh, you have no limits. So I just ask that you would superintend, that you would meet with mercy and grace every heart in the room. We love you. Amen.